Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. James, chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, I think is a good place for us to begin uh, this year. This is the word of the Lord. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would feed us again, that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, that you would rebuke us, that you would train us in righteousness so that we might be adequate, equipped for every good work. Lord, bless every one of the thoughts of our thoughts and meditations, you who are our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. I don't know about you guys, but it is sweet to be together. It's sweet to be worshiping the Lord together, right? Um, the last couple of Sundays, I haven't been able to be here, um, or the two Sundays before that, and uh, it's just a sad thing not to be able to gather together with God's people. And so I'm glad to be here. I'm rejoicing as we sing and praise the Lord and as we get to come to his table and feast on the body and blood of the Lord after we are fed on his word. So James chapter 2, just a a little bit of background on James. It was written by the brother of Jesus, which is a mind-boggling statement. It just makes you... uh, it makes you think about families and dynamics and um, just the, the way that Jesus related to his own family members who at one point were willing to declare him insane. And yet now um, they believe. And so we see that. It's written by his brother. This is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament because of its very practical focus. And uh, it is very practical. It is... Um, it, punches you in the gut just like Proverbs does. And, uh, and so I, I just want us to consider these, the, this verse as we enter into a new year and don't know what lies ahead. And so the first question we have to address after reading the passage is this, what does James mean by trials? What, what are trials? Uh, from the historical context, it's clear that the first uh, Christians, when, when James was writing, were not being treated uh, very kindly, to put it mildly, right? In fact, the Jews who did not believe were doing an awful lot of persecution of Christians. The Jews were. We read about this persecution in the book of Acts. Um, so certainly James means those sorts of trials, those who are professing uh, Jesus Christ as the Messiah were being treated harshly. They're being cast out of cities, even killed for their faith. 
In addition to that sort of persecution, which we don't face much of in our country at this point, right? We don't face it much at this point, whether that's because of our, uh, you know, our cowardice or God's mercy, I don't know. Um, there are other trials that we face, right, beyond that, that heat of persecution, We face trials because, as Calvin said on this passage, the life of a Christian is one of constant warfare on the earth. Constant warfare. Do we really believe that? It's constant warfare. It's constant engagement with the enemy. We fight against three foes, all of which bring to seek us down, seek to make us leave our first love, Jesus Christ, seek to conquer us for their kingdom, Right? And these three things are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, John 15, 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. The world hates you. The world is against you. Right? The world is against you and would see you make shipwreck of your faith. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so the flesh is against you as well. So the world is against you, the flesh is against you, that indwelling remaining sin, and would see you make shipwreck of your faith. Ephesians 6 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so, uh, not only is the world against you and the flesh against you, but the devil is against you and would see you make shipwreck of your faith. So with all these powers opposed to us, on every level, at all times of every day, one would expect that we would face some trials, right? If those powers are against us, one might expect that we would face some trials. One who is surrounded by hostile enemies should expect to fight, um, should expect there to be some major difficulties, should expect, at the very least, some skirmishes leading to major warfare. Um, These trials, these trials that arise because of warfare with the world, the flesh, and the devil are these sorts of things. One, persecution because of your faith. Um, Things like this, being asked to work on a Sunday, though you've made it clear that you are, um, for years, that you are not willing. Because of the hostility of the world, we are embarrassed by our faith, so we face mocking from from, God. fellow, you know, workers, from school teachers, from college professors, right? Um, and, and in the face of that, we're tempted to keep silent, to keep respectable. We also face these sorts of temptations, appetites and desires that quickly rise up and attack us, right? This is, these are the trials that arise from our own flesh, things like anger and gossip, and greed, lust, uh, hatred, grumbling and complaining, pride. These come upon us like a lion, right, jumping upon its prey. 
One moment, you know, one moment we can be worshiping the Lord. One moment we can be just deep into our devotions, right? We're reading scripture, we're, you know, we're, we're um, praying. And the next moment we're slandering a friend in our minds, right? Who said something to us and it just comes into, a, into our minds and we think, what a jerk, right? One moment we're giving thanks to God, the next moment we're indulging our minds and eyes and fantasies. We also face this kind of temptation. Spiritual warfare afflicts us at points two. Satan, Peter reminds us, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And then, then he goes on to say, resist him. Do you remember this as you face temptations to sin? You remember that you have a real adversary who would push you headlong over a cliff to your death. There are also trials that come upon us not because of our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, but there are trials that come upon us as we struggle through life in a fallen, broken world, right? Diseases and illnesses afflict all of us. Sometimes lifelong trials, sometimes trials that come upon us in an instant. Connected with this is the simple pain of death, right? That trial, death of loved ones, death of friends, death of children, death of babies. All of which are trials, they're difficulties. So these things I've mentioned are the ways trials come to us, but again, we have to dig even a little bit deeper. These things... These things are trials because, and I'm borrowing this from John Calvin because you guys wouldn't let me say this, right? It's kind of scandalous. So that's what you do. If you're a preacher, you borrow from other theologians that say the scandalous things. So, yeah, you protect yourself, right? So these are trials because they test our obedience to God. That's why they're trials. They are tests of our obedience to God. That's the crux of the matter. Each one of these things, whether it's diseases, sinful appetites, spiritual afflictions, persecutions, when these things come upon us, they are tests. Tests. And those, uh, you know, and these things would seek to undo us and God allows them to occur to us to test our obedience. In that test, our hearts are revealed, right? Will I be faithful to God or will I give in to my sinful desires, give in to the desires of the adversary of my soul? The, the goal is not to suffer through the trial, right? The, the, the goal is to prove yourself a doer of God's word and not merely a hearer. Right? The real trial is not the thing itself. The real trial is whether or not we will be obedient to God. Will the trial cause us to seek relief from the things of the world, the things that are in our immediate grasp, or will we fly to God for refuge? Will we obey Him and persevere? In other words, a man can be diagnosed with cancer, undergo much suffering, undergo a, a an inordinate amount of pain 
and consider his trial completed when he goes into remission. And yet, all the while, when he is in pain, when his body is being poisoned by chemicals, he can be cursing God. Right? He can continuously, in his thoughts, be stewing on the unfairness of his situation and hating God for it. He has failed the test. He has not been obedient to God. God may deliver him from physical suffering, but he has failed the spiritual test. He has failed the trial. He has missed the entire point of affliction coming from God in the first place. Now think of Jesus' temptations in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4, after fasting 40 days and nights, Jesus is hungry and the Holy Spirit leads him out in the desert to be tempted to undergo trial by Satan. Here, uh, those three areas I mentioned before are on display. The world and all its riches are offered to Jesus. The flesh is attacked, is attacked when, when uh, Satan suggests Jesus turn the bread, uh, the stones into bread. The devil then tempts Jesus to worship him. And so in all this, the crux of the matter is this. Will Jesus be faithful to God? Will Jesus be obedient to God or will he not? And praise God, he's obedient. Throwing back in Satan's face at each point the word of God. Right? The last, and, and this can't be overemphasized. God, it is God who superintends, who, it's God who superintends, who brings about all of these trials. Right? As we will see, there is a purpose in his bringing along trials, just as Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Right? We are tested and tempted and tried by God. He sends us trials. In fact, if we are not undergoing trials, right, it is a sign that God is neglecting us and that God is not showing his love for us. Right? Now, how can I say that? Well, look at, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> right? Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. And then this sweet verse, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Right? Trials, these events that test our obedience, these events that try us, 
are the discipline of the Heavenly Father. They, they mean that God is dealing with us as with sons. But if you are without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so there it is. These trials are God's fatherly attention. And just before this passage, remember what it says about Jesus. Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew what the result of his obedience, the result of his passing the trials would be. And this joy was set before him as he suffered, unlike any of us will ever have to suffer. He suffered separation from the Father. And if that doesn't fill you with all kinds of fear, then start fearing the Lord. So now that we've thought about what trials are, we we get to this extraordinary statement here. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider getting fired for your faith joy. Consider not being able to buy groceries that week because you got fired from your job for your faith, joy. Consider insults, joy. Consider your chronic pain, joy. Consider temptations afflicting you and coming at you, joy. Consider the attacks of spiritual forces, joy. Consider the difficulties you suffered as a young man or a young woman or as a child. Terrible things. Consider it joy. Consider the financial losses joy. He is saying nothing less than that. But how can he say that? How can the Holy Spirit be exhorting us this way? Well, the Scripture gives us the reason. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing this. That the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Perfect, complete, lacking. In other words, these trials serve the purpose of producing something in us. They are going to produce endurance. Endurance. And endurance will be that which will allow us to bear up under those weightier, more difficult trials that come in the future. I know men and women who, the moment some difficulty comes along, whether it's financial or some fight they had with a spouse or some temptation of the flesh, they flake out. They just flake out. Their, their immediate reaction to, to every trial is, this is way too much. This is way too much. I cannot bear this. And so it becomes just that, right? Unbearable. Their disobedience to God, their weakness of their faith is put on display when they face the smallest trials. I know this of my own heart. Weak. On the other hand, I know men and women who can face debilitating disease 
and hard pain and say, praise God every day. I, I know believers who can, in the face of severe trials, smile and have peace in their souls. They may have been as um, they they know what it means to endure. They are those who can say, along with Job, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Right? <clears throat> I mean, I get. I hear about these examples of somebody that's somebody that's diagnosed with something or somebody that's facing severe affliction and all they're doing is praising God. All they're doing is, is resisting all the temptations that they have at that moment to curse God and die. And it's wonderful. So the more that trials come into the life of the Christian, the more that person should demonstrate patience and joy. The more trials that come into the life of the godly, the more, actually the life of the ungodly, the more they lose their minds, right? If this life is all you have, then you believe you are entitled to joy. You believe this life should be one of joy. It must be one of joy. It must be filled with pleasure. It must be filled with happiness. So when trials come to someone who does not have Christ, who does not believe that God is in everything, there comes with those trials a desperate, breathless hopelessness. And for the Christian without faith who who is doubting, it's the same breathless hopelessness. The trial comes and the eating begins, right? The trial comes and the alcohol intake goes up. The trial comes and, and the TV becomes our counselor, right? The trial comes and the shopping mall is therapy. The trial comes and everything becomes an attempt to escape from the trial. But with the believer, the trial comes... And after a deep breath, he praises God. Trial comes and he shouts, thank you for not turning away from me, God. Thank you for the attention you're giving to me. Thank you for the fatherly concern you're showing me. Thank you that you want me to to be sanctified. Thank you that that you, you haven't abandoned me. Thank you. Trial comes and he knows the nearness of God. The trial comes and he doesn't turn to other things. He turns to God, the God who will never leave him or forsake him. The trial comes and he, he can smile. And let me also say this, trials will come. Trials will come. Trials will come today and you... You must be prepared to do as the Holy Spirit exhorts us in this passage. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Do not forget that God is at work in you when you are going through these trials. Do not lose your mind when some difficulty comes, when some hard temptation is trying to draw you away from obeying God, when some wicked man is mocking your faith in Jesus Christ. When, when there's just relentless information telling you that the Christian faith is foolish, right? When, 
when your wife is diagnosed with some horrible disease, when, you're, when your father dies unexpectedly, consider it joy. Now, I don't mean to say that your countenance will be one where you are happy, clappy, like you are a clown at the circus when God tries you, right? You will grieve, you will cry, you will have some serious intensity to your prayers, right? You will agonize, you will, you will be, you will, you will need God's word to speak to you. But you also must, in the depth of your soul, be joyful that God has given you his fatherly attention, right? He loves you and he has brought you this trial to make you a fit vessel for eternal life in his loving presence, right? For the reasons I mentioned before, you should, you should also be joyful. Joyful knowing that God is at work in you. Joyful knowing that these trials actually prove God's fatherly care. Joyful at the reality that God has not left you to yourself. Joyful that these trials prove you are a child of God. Joyful that God is producing something in you that is actually worthwhile. Something that is glorious fruit and that is endurance. Endurance. And endurance will be that which carries you to the end of the race. Right? all the way to the end, all the way through those weary last days. Paul went through some trials, <laughs> right? I just love this passage. He, he is laying it on thick with the Corinthians because he loves them and he's being a father to them. And he's like, you guys think you have it hard? In far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without numbers, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among the brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these external things, there's the daily pressure of me of concern for all the churches. Who's weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast what of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Eritas, the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me, and I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so escaped his hands. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ, speaking of himself, who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise 
and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on, on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. Second time he said that. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will, not, I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself another trial. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of God may dwell in me. And then listen to this. Listen. Therefore, I am well content. Oh, man. I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's incredible faith, isn't it? That is a life swallowed up in Jesus Christ. That the apostle can endure such significant trials and then at the end of them say, praise God, these things made me weak. Praise God, these things just undid me. Took away all my boasting, took away anything that I would have been proud of. Praise God. And in my weakness, in the obliteration of all my prideful boasting, I'm strong. That's faith in Christ. That is to have faith in the midst of trials. And that's the goal. And so let me conclude with this. Let me, let me say this. God has placed you in a church. Praise God, right? Amen. God has placed you in a church. When you are enduring what seems to be unendurable trials, get yourself with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get yourself with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The most miserable thing about COVID, the most miserable thing about our current circumstances is isolation. It's misery. It's misery. Get yourself when you're enduring trials with those who are at the moment not enduring that trial so that they can be strength to you. Right? If you isolate yourself, you will die. You will die. You will think you are the only person in the entire universe. And you will be alone and you will, be, you will die. So get yourself with those who have some hope, who have the same future, who have the same Savior as you, and worship with them. Right? It is especially the worship of Jesus Christ the fellowship of the Spirit that will uphold your spirit when you are crushed and alone. There is, there is something we all know is inadequate about online worship. We all know it. The body of Christ is meant to be together so that we can see one another worshiping the resurrected King of all. Right? We need that in-person exhortation that comes with the singing and hearing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
we need human contact. Right? We need the strength of those who are strong to sustain those who are weakened by severe trials. We need the faith of those who are resisting temptation to uphold those who are giving in to temptation, to, to see Jesus in them. And so we are all living through a trial from God right now. What with the restrictions and fears and difficulties that have come with unknowns, with disease, with hardship. So let's be sympathetic to one another and remember that we all encounter various trials. Some are tried by fears and anxieties. Some are tried by sadness and loss. Some are tried by successes and increase. Right? Some are tried by longing for the flesh. Some are tried by a longing for money. Some are tried by the words of a sibling that wounded. And so let us be sympathetic. Let us encourage one another to obedience and faith in God. Let us help one another through our trials. And dear brothers and sisters, open yourself up to other, other people's help. Whatever you do in a trial, never isolate yourself from other believers, from the Word of God, and from His presence in prayer. Do not. And finally this, when, when it comes to trials, don't ever impugn God. Don't ever impugn God. He is your only hope. So when you are feeling close to despair, and crying out to God for understanding, guard your words and your thoughts. Guard your mind from praying as David did in Psalm 39. If I could say that. Here's how Psalm 39 ends. Turn your gaze away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. What a sad thing to say. To say to God, turn your gaze from me before I die. Now the gaze of God, the eyes of God, which is to say his sovereign care of you, is always good. He has rescued your soul from hell. And so whatever he calls you to joyfully endure is what? Momentary, light, affliction, producing an eternal weight of glory. Right? Who knows what the year ahead will bring to us? Who knows? God knows. We don't. But together, dear friends, we can, we can consider it all joy. Knowing that God is producing in us endurance, and endurance will have the result of maturity, perfection in Christ.